Coming up, we'll talk about why written communication is so important in a work environment. And we'll even give you a few tips to help make you a better writer. All that and more in just a few seconds. Welcome to Serious Soft Skills, where we help you unleash the power of soft skills. Here are your hosts, Dr. Tobin Porterfield and Bob Graham. Take it away, guys. Welcome to Serious Soft Skills, episode 24. I'm Dr. Tobin Porterfield, and with me, as always, is Bob Graham. For you newcomers, welcome, and let's set the stage a bit. Uh, we've done a lot of reading of research projects that have been done over the years, and we've identified 55 soft skills. And we're working our way through those and trying to help people understand what those skills are, how they can strengthen those skills, and uh, why they're important in today's work environment. Now, Bob and I both work in uh, university college environments. Uh, we work with students, so uh, today's topic, written communication, is something that uh, I think my students would uh, not use as good a term, but uh, I'm adamant about the importance of written communication. Bob, I'm sure yours would because uh, you have a much stronger background in uh, writing, so we're going to benefit from that today. Uh, I really hate to do it. I'm just going to apologize to our listeners right now. Uh, I'm going to have to hand the reins over to you um, because I, I respect that you really have studied and 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 really understand written. I uh, write, and then I, I look at what I write, and I think that sounds good, you know, appropriate. Um, but I know that you know the the real importance of the structure and things that make. You know, I just look at something and say it sounds right. You actually know why it either sounds right or wrong, and I think we're all gonna gonna benefit from that. So um, that power of writing. Um, it, it's often the first entree we have to a person. I might get an email from someone or or I might read a report from someone, and that written word is what's going to be my first impression of them. So I know it's really important. Resumes and cover letters and, and so many ways we're exposed to the writing of a person before we're exposed to the, the actual person. And, Toby, really that writing is not just the words they choose, but it's an insight into someone's view of the world, how they view you, how they view the world, how they, how they analyze the world. Because, really, to write effectively, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know who you're talking to. You have to choose the right words. If I were going to describe this podcast to a four-year-old, it would be a different description than to my college student and a different description than uh, we would give to our friend Jeff. And knowing those nuances of how you communicate effectively to the audience is really at the core of written communication. And I've said the word audience several times, and my students will tell you that they get tired of that because I'm always saying, you know, who is the audience and how are we communicating the message in a way that the audience can receive it? And what so often happens with writing is that we write it in our own language the words that we feel comfortable with, the ideas that we're really comfortable with, and when we shift it to the audience's perspective and write it in a way that's comfortable to them, while that may not be the most comfortable to us, that's when it lands most effectively. And that's really the key to writing. If you, Your kind words about what I do as a writer were really great. I, I don't know if they're really accurate, what I would tell you is I feel like my role as an editor and a writer is to be a reader's advocate, to constantly be challenging myself and others to write in ways that the reader goes, oh, I get that. Same thing with this podcast. You know, we're using examples from real world. 
We're not using academic research examples. We're getting out of the books and getting into real life because that's what's approachable to people. Does that kind of give you a starting point? Oh, that helps me because, um, and, and my colleagues, and I come from a business school, and uh, my colleagues will uh, shy away from uh, editing and commenting on students' writing often because they'll say, oh, you know, I don't really understand the rule of commas. And I don't, and, and I, you bring up a really great point that uh, there is, I still won't completely give, give way that there's value in appropriately use of sentence structure and punctuation, but, but we can all be better writers based on what you've said of, hey, think of yourself of what, think to yourself what the reader's seeing. Did you really explain yourself well? Did you, did you put it, were you taking their perspective? That's, we can all do that. Yes. And if you think about, and this is an example I use with my students all the time, they have to write memos. And we spend a lot of time working on memos because that really, and memos is code for an email or a written memo. So just so people don't think I'm a total dinosaur, I get it. But we've all gotten the email that is eight paragraphs long and doesn't tell me what you want me to do versus the email that has the first sentence says, I need you to read this and decide whether we're going to the conference. Go. There's a huge difference in that. And as a reader, I certainly know when people are good writers and they get to the point, I'm more apt to read their email first and act on it immediately. And the worst thing that can happen as a writer is that I discourage my reader from reading the rest of it, whether that's the second sentence or the 88th sentence or the 5,000th sentence, or worst case of all, I turn them off in some way. I use the word that they don't understand, an idea they don't understand. We have no shared ground there, and they just go, oh, I'm going to put this aside. And I think we all have a pile of emails that we're going to get to one day, but it's never going to happen. And the person, you know you're that person if you go to someone and say, hey, I never got a response from your email. That is not on the other person. I'm sorry, when someone says that to me, I take responsibility for that. I'm like, oh, I must not have been clear with that email. Let me send you another email that that's crystal clear. And there's a whole philosophy out there now. I don't know if you're aware of this, Toby, but there's a group that actually advocates three-sentence emails or four-sentence emails, and they'll take a pledge that all their emails are going to be three sentences. First sentence sets the stage. What are we talking about? The second sentence gives you the context. And the third sentence is the action item you want the person to do. It's really crystal clear, simple, straight to the point. And we tend to think because I think email and computer space is unlimited, we can write and write and write. You know, if you go back, when I say journalism back in the 80s, we typed it on a typewriter. That is a limiting force. Retyping a, a memo on a typewriter, you do not want to do that. You want to hit the keys as few times as possible. On my computer, I can copy and paste from the last memo or the memo from six months ago or six years ago or, God help me, reply all and include <laughs> no. everything. Which is which no. is another, and you would say, well, wait, those aren't even my words, but I'm sorry. If you hit reply all, you are saying to your reader, I don't believe that you're paying attention. 
I've got to give you all this information. And we laugh about these things, but these are, these are some of the things I'm teaching, and these are some of the things that I've come to realize as a communicator, not a writer, just a communicator, that I can help my audience, whether the audience is you or someone else. You're really busy this week. I have kept my interactions with you to a minimum, respecting that you told me you were busy, and you've done that for me sometimes. On other weeks, I might send you three emails. Hey, Toby, I was thinking about this for a topic. I was thinking about that. We need to be aware of our audience, whether that's the guy down the hall from you, the CEO, or the public at large. Bob, I think that's great. I I, I really w- was not expecting, uh, when we were talking about good written communication, I'm thinking annual reports. I'm thinking uh, reports that I'm sending to my boss. And uh, you, you really nailed it because... 80%, 90% of the written communication I do, email and text. So uh, I think we better uh, take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and I think we're going to tie this together with some other um, uh, soft skills that we've talked about, like sharing information and some other ones that, that your written communication is critical for success in other soft skills. So we'll be back just after a short break. Hey, Bob Graham here. Self-reflection, you've probably heard about it, but you have no idea where to start or what to do. We got you covered. We put together a tip sheet on how to start your practice of self-reflection and some of the do's and don'ts to ensure your success. To get your tip sheet, visit SeriousSoftSkills.com slash tip sheet. That's SeriousSoftSkills.com slash tip sheet. Best of all, it's free. It's our gift to you for spending some time with us today. So, Bob, uh, good written communication can be intimidating for a lot of us. I think you've already started to break that down. But um, can you just take us to some of the basics of what we can do to be better written communicators? Sure, Toby. That's easy. Um, First of all, uh, spell check. It's on every computer, and you and I both as teachers can easily find the student work that's not spell-checked. It's, it's astounding to me as someone who grew up in the 80s when we didn't have spell-check that people with this really valuable tool do not use it. And the other thing I will tell you with spell-check, if spell-check says the word is spelled incorrectly, before you say accept this word as correct, know that it's correct because we tend to bastardize spell check. And I get people all the time telling me, no, spell check, I went through, there were no mistakes. Like, then you need to go back to the very basic spell check dictionary and start over. We, we tend to think we're right when we're not. I would also tell you that there's grammar check. Microsoft Word and OpenOffice have grammar check, and they'll put a little red squiggly there that tells you that something might be wrong. Pay attention to that. That's your first clue. I would also tell you use words and ideas that people can understand. Big words, 50-cent words, tend to look like 50-cent words. I had a student the other day who used the phrase in a paper four times, elucidate, four times in a three-page paper. It's a great word, but there's a time and place. And the third time he used it in three pages, it's like you need a new word. And I would tell you, if you have a killer word or this great image, use it once and get away from it. You can't keep going back to the well with that same word. Um, My students will tell you I'm an advocate that the sentence drivers are the verbs. A good verb is really the key. 
So think about that verb. A sentence is really about an action. Something is acting or someone was is acting. What? Who is that person acting or who is that thi- or was that thing acting? And what is it that they're actually doing? If you start with the subject of the sentence, truly what the thing is that's having something happen and then say what that thing is, you will see a dramatic change. And Toby, you know this, you've been looking at the edits I've been doing in this book we're working on, and you can see I often switch the sentences around so we get to the subject because as readers, we want to know who is having something happen to them. So the difference is Bob hit Sue is an active sentence. I use this one all the time. The (coughs) passive one would be Sue was hit by Bob, right? And in there's research that shows that if you write it the second way, we actually convert it to the first way in our head. But that half a split second that I have to spend converting it, you're losing me as a reader. So active voice, active voice. Who's doing what to whom? If you can get that through your head, you're in really great shape. And then just some mechanics of good grammar. We all learned it in school. And I would tell you some of the best writers, I know good writers, have great editors. You can edit yourself and know what you're not good at and try to find those things. If you write wordy sentences, look for it. If you don't use good verbs, look for it. I would also tell you you can have someone else edit things for you. And if you get into a situation at work where you edit someone else's work and they edit yours, you'll both get better. The third thing I'll tell you is you can really help yourself by putting printing something out at the end of the day, leaving it on your desk so you'll see it first thing the next morning, and then looking at it the next morning before you send it and reading it like the reader and saying, oh, shoot, I got to read this. And think of it as your reader would think about it, literally. Am I using, am I saying what they need to say? And challenge yourself to not use extra words. I often try to take every word I cut from something I write is a penny. And I try to see how many dollars I can add up in the day in my head of, boy, I just cut six words. That's six cents. Man, I'm at at 58 cents. I've had days where I can take one-page memo and I can get to 45, 50 cents in my head. And that's one of the ways I find it really concrete for me that I'm working towards a goal of more and more money because we don't think of words as having a financial equivalent. But the reality is to your reader, words have a financial equivalent because the time they waste reading something that's not well written costs them in other areas. Bob, I think I would add in too. I'm th- and thinking about written communication as a way to share information in our business environment. Is I've encouraged my students to consider uh, in that memo or in that uh, short communication you're sending, if there are key terms or dates to to use highlight and bold. And, and it makes it a little easier for the reader, even after they read it, to say, "Okay, hold it. He said that I had to go do this. What was that date?" And boy, if it's on highlight or bold, you don't want to overdo that. But at the same time, it really helps me pick up, oh, hold it. I need a, a presentation ready for September 18th. That, you know, that really helps me as the receiver of the communication get right to the important points of it. And, and those, for some reason, and I don't understand uh, brain uh, chemistry particularly, but it makes it stick for me. It, it gives a stickiness to the information. And I love the phrase stickiness because that's what you really want. I would add two other things that you just made me think of, which is if you're sending an email, have a really good subject line, Mm. not, 
update, not uh, memo, not, you know, if you're talking about Tuesday, I'm leaving at three o'clock, then the subject line should be Tuesday, three o'clock, leaving early. Yeah. Think of how people file things. The other thing I would tell you is file names. If you're naming a file, name it in a way that a person might actually look for it because we get a lot of information and nothing drives me crazier than when students turn in memo three and I get 24 memo threes and I've got to find the one that didn't print right and I got to look through literally every single memo rather than going, oh, Tiffany's memo didn't print and it's named Tiffany and her last name and memo. So those are, those are, when we talk about helping our reader, those are some of the simple things along with the bolding and the highlighting, which I really like. I don't do it a whole lot, but I see where it would work. That's another part of written communication. Is the information necessary for my reader there? Yes. And, and, I, and, and, and let me go a step further. Is written communication the best way of sharing that piece of information? We tend mm. to rely on email as a catch-all, as a cover ourselves, as a, oh, I sent you an email on it, whereas sometimes just going down the hall and talking to a person could be much more effective. And I'll give you the example. Scheduling meetings should never, ever, 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 ever be done by email because all you get is 10 people going, I can't do Tuesday at 4 o'clock. I can't do Thursday at 9 o'clock. That's ridiculous. We, we that That is the number one single biggest aggravation that I get in terms of communication. Like, really? We're, we're going to go through everyone's schedule, and then someone says, well, I can do Friday at 4, and then nine people say I can't. Now I've got 10 emails that are useless to me. And if I happen to be traveling and it's three days later, I have no earthly clue what all that's about. And now I've got 67 emails when all it would have been is someone just walking around the building and saying, hey, Friday at 4 would be a really good time for a meeting. Can you all make it Friday? I know no one's traveling. I checked everyone's schedule. That. Or if you're going to send scheduling by email, have a set time. Say, it's going to be Tuesday at 4, and let people weigh in on that. Not, hey, we need to meet next week. What's, when can everyone do it? Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's, certainly there's some tools. The, uh, the doodle poll is a great yes. way to, to collect some information. And, you know, the habit we're trying to get into when we finish a meeting while everyone's sitting around the table and not, hey, I'll send that. A, no, yes. let's, let's, let's schedule. Do we need to meet again? Let's schedule it right now. Bob, speaking of scheduling and uh, our next meeting, I think it's time to wrap it up. I, I don't, We don't want to overwhelm people because I think written communication can be overwhelming. But I think we've uh, unwrapped it in some ways that, you know, there's real ways to improve uh, that everyone will benefit from on, on that clarity, um, careful choice of the words. And, and number one, I think you put out there was taking the perspective of the reader. Will they get it? Will they understand it? And uh, being as concise as possible. So uh, for now, I think we'll wrap this up. That's it for episode 24 of Serious Soft Skills. You can always email us at podcast at SeriousSoftSkills.com or tweet us at Real Soft Skills. Uh, we pl- post our blogs. We have links to uh, prior podcasts, so lots of information to check us out at SeriousSoftSkills.com. So uh, we'll talk, hear from you, or you'll hear from us soon in our next podcast. And until then, uh, thanks for listening to us, and as always, good soft skills. You've been listening to Serious Soft Skills with your hosts, Dr. Tobin Porterfield and Bob Graham. 
If you like what you hear, then take a moment to review us on iTunes. Looking for more insights on soft skills? Then check out our website, SeriousSoftSkills.com, for blog posts, newsletters, and other resources. And look for a new episode of Serious Soft Skills every Wednesday. 